wisdom books is what could be called the law of retribution. People get what they deserve. Righteous and wise people prosper and are happy, and evil and foolish people face suffering and also death. Now, some of these wisdom writers think that's just fine, and others say it doesn't work that way. And this, as we'll see, is one of the issues that is going to run through all of these books and how it's going to be resolved. So these are at least some of the concerns. Fear of the Lord, wisdom personified, social relations, life in every day, and so forth, and especially the law of retribution. Is it so that the good and the wise prosper or not? The third issue is the form. Almost all of these books consist of Hebrew poetry. And as you've heard, I'm sure, in the past, Hebrew poetry takes as its fundamental structuring principle parallelism. Either you say the same thing twice in slightly different words, or you say opposite things which amount to a statement about something. And as we'll see, this is the fundamental form by which these wisdom books communicate. They're usually short proverbs, maxims, aphorisms, depending on how you describe it. They're also collections or anthologies. If you've had the experience of trying to read one of these books, generally after chapter three or so, you've had enough. Uh, and it's like an anthology of poetry. All of us have been exposed to an anthology of poetry. It isn't designed to be read straight through at one sitting. It's not like a novel. It's not like a narrative. It's not like many of the other books of the Old Testament. What you have here is small pieces meant to be pondered, meant to be meditated upon, meant to be thought about. The fourth issue, the setting of this wisdom teaching. There's a long-standing debate about what was the setting in life in which this stuff was preserved. Some of it seems to have been sort of family wisdom or clan wisdom or tribe wisdom. In other words, wisdom handed on from generation to generation in a family or tribal setting. Some of it seems to have been handed on in a royal court setting. That is a setting of power, if you will, and intelligence. This would be particularly so in Egypt. When this stuff gets to Israel, you get a mixture of things, and you have also an attempt to integrate it into Israelite piety. In a sense, the wisdom books are the odd block in the Old Testament. They don't fit with theories about history or prophecy. In fact, most Old Testament theologies don't know where to put these books. But they do constitute a rather large part of the Old Testament and should be taken seriously and I think are extremely important. The final point, the background of these books. I've already said that the wisdom movement, in a sense, is an international Near Eastern movement. And you can find it in ancient Mesopotamia, you can find it in ancient Egypt, you can find it in ancient Israel. And it seems, in a sense, that this stuff was circulating pretty widely all over the ancient Near East. Israel, in its incorporation, places it, in a sense, within Israelite piety. And so it begins to speak a lot about Israel's God, Yahweh. And this, in a sense, is the distinctive contribution of Israelite wisdom literature. In other words, it integrates 
the mainline tradition of law and prophecy with the ancient Near Eastern wisdom movement. And so it is distinctive in that respect. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the wisdom books of the Old Testament, in particular in these sessions, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Sirach, and the Book of Wisdom. These books are concerned with wisdom and fear of the Lord and everyday life, how to cope as it were. They take the form of a poetry and their individual members in a sense are oftentimes short proverbs or maxims. The books themselves are anthologies. They have elements uh, that originated perhaps in a family or tribal setting or also in the setting of the royal court. And they are part of an international ancient Near Eastern wisdom movement. Okay, those are some